In light of the events of the, the past week, we're doing things a, a little differently this morning. Uh, we're going to have a special time uh, this morning of prayer, of lament uh, for what has gone on, of, of hopefully of some healing. Uh, the, the church cannot be blind to, to what's gone on. I'm glad you're all here this morning. Uh, welcome, and since that's what the screen says, and I'll, I'll do that. But uh, uh, we are we're a part of, of, of what's happening, what has happened, whether we're you know, 300 miles from Dallas or further from Baton Rouge and Minneapolis, where the church should be the first place people come to, to get answers, to, to find hope, to find uh, peace and comfort. And sadly, that, that isn't always where they come. Uh, in the past, the church has often been a part of the problem, whatever the, the, the problem is, and, and that's debated and discussed, and th this is not the time for that. This is the time for the church to step up and say, as I said in uh, the, the, the Facebook post on the church's page, that this is not a, a white issue or a black issue or a police issue or a citizen issue or cultural or social or anything like that. This is a sin issue. That, that's the problem. Uh, that's the problem in Baton Rouge. That's the problem in Minneapolis. That was the problem in Dallas. Uh, again, I'm not here to debate where the sin lies. That doesn't matter. The sin lies with all of us. So we as the church need to not only recognize uh, what the real problem is, but also recognize that the church has the answer to the problems. Uh, I, I debated this morning, uh, this week, whether or not I was going to change my sermon. Uh, once everything happened and uh, once it, the, the tensions had risen to such uh, an extent that, okay, is this something I need to, to, to redirect on? And I got to thinking about the sermon uh, this morning and how the, we're, we're still looking at what, uh, what churches don't need. And, and Inward Focus was the, the title of this morning's sermon. And turns out that it works. Now, uh, I didn't, uh, I may add some things later on or adjust a little bit, but the church can, is not insulated from the world. Uh, we don't get to come inside these four walls and say that doesn't exist because that's outside is why it exists. So when, when brothers and sisters in Christ are feeling pain, we should feel pain. Uh, when when uh, people who are, are lost die, we should feel pain. So this morning we are going to, I'm going to first read three different psalms, uh, psalms of lament uh, as, as we mourn for the loss of life, mourn for the, the loss of trust, uh, mourn for the, the, the hatred uh, on, on any side, mourn, the, we lament the fact that we live in a fallen, sin-sick world. And our only hope is God. And, and our only uh, way out is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 12 is the first psalm I'm going to read. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. 
They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the oppression of the afflicted and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will put the one who longs for it in a safe place. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You'll protect us from this generation forever. The wicked wander everywhere, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Uh, the next psalm is Psalm 70, and I think maybe as we read these, you'll hear why I felt like God led me to them to, to share as psalms of lament. Psalm 70, God deliver me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who seek my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be driven back and humiliated. Let those who say, aha, aha, retreat because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, God is great. I am afflicted and needy. Hurry to me, God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. And the third psalm is Psalm 94. Lord God of vengeance, God of vengeance, appear. Rise up, judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. Lord, how long will the, the wicked, how long will the wicked gloat? They pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. Lord, they crush your people, they afflict your heritage, they kill the widow and the foreigner and murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord doesn't see it, the God of Jacob doesn't pay attention. Pay attention, you stupid people. Fools, when will you be wise? Can the one who shaped the ear not hear? The one who formed the eye not see? The one who instructs nations, the one who teaches man knowledge, can he not discipline? Does he not discipline, rather? The Lord knows man's thoughts. They are meaningless. Lord, happy is the man you discipline and teach from your law to give him relief from troubled times until a pit is dug for the wicked. The Lord will not forsake his people or abandon his heritage, for justice will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who stands up for me against the wicked? Who takes a stand for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my helper, I would soon rest in the silence of death. If I say my foot is slipping, your faithful love will support me, Lord. When I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Can a corrupt throne, one that creates trouble by law, become your ally? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my refuge. My God is the rock of my protection. He will pay them back for their sins and destroy them for their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. As I said, you can, you can hear the message. I'd love to, you know, preach for about three hours on all three of these psalms, but I, I think y'all might not let me. But you can hear the message that God is in control, that those who are afflicted one day won't be, those who weep one, one day won't weep. 
God is not unaware of what goes on. God is not surprised by it. God is not unaffected by it. And then I want to share a scripture of healing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So the Psalms were laments. God, do you not see? God, do you not understand? I, I know you do. I trust in you anyway. But really, how long are you going to let this go on? And the Jews particularly thought they had their political answer to what, for a lot of them, these psalms were political psalms. At least that's how they took them. Jesus came along. Is this when you're going to restore your kingdom, Jesus? Is this when you're going to take the reins and rule and we're finally no more oppression? And he says, y'all, you know, the days and the hours aren't for you to know. But right now, our hope is not in a political answer, but it's in the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, Paul particularly talks about how the Jews and the Gentiles were made into one group. The, the, the Jews, as they saw it, and everybody else, two disparate, two disagreeing, two groups that did not like each other were brought together. So then, remember that at one time, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised. They were actually literally called foreskin, apparently. It was like a name used for them. Hey, foreskin, wouldn't you love to be called that? You were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And understand, when he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, and listen to this phrase, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That is a great verse. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility of death, uh, hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jews and the Gentiles, both groups. Verse 18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Church, we are commanded to weep with those who weep. I saw numerous times, I saw a lot on social media, most of which probably shouldn't have been said. But one thing I did see 
one gentleman shared, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, not to judge why they're weeping. And that's true. And we can debate, and there will be plenty of it, on why the events occurred. But really, when it comes down to our ministerial relationship with other people, our missionary relationship with other people, all we have to know is that they're hurting, and we need to comfort. That's where the church should be. The gospel is what brings us together. The gospel unites two groups. Verse 14, I'll go back to. He is our peace in the midst of war or tribulation or anger or fights or peaceful demonstrations or violent demonstrations. Jesus is our peace. He is our only peace. He is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. There will be no tearing down of any of the walls that exist. And here we're talking about, maybe we're talking about just racial walls. But there are a thousand other walls that exist. We may not have that particular issue here in Nixon, but we have others. And this is where the church must answer and stand and say, we know that Jesus came to bring peace, to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. So that's our prayer this morning. We need to mourn. We need to lament as David did with those three psalms. But intentionally, the service is going to move from this time of lament and prayer to the message that is, uh, I hope, both convicting but also encouraging to the last song that we're going to do. And we had to change the, the music up after we practiced on Wednesday, singing of a glorious day. And, and I'll share one more scripture toward the end of the, the service before we sing that. Because there is hope, even in the darkest of times, there is hope. And we know that hope. That hope is maybe not seen for some of us until that last day, until that glorious day that we'll sing about in a few minutes. But now, let's pray. Let's pray that God will bring rational voices to the conversation. Let's pray that what is heard most is the gospel of reconciliation first to God through Jesus Christ. But secondly, as Paul talked about in Ephesians, a gospel of reconciliation among each other. We are now one body in Christ. It doesn't matter our location. It doesn't matter our skin color. It doesn't matter our status. We're one body. Let's pray that we as the church will be bannermen, banner women for that unity. That when people look, they see the church standing together in unity. Pray with me. God, we mourn the loss of life. We mourn the situations that led to the loss of life. God, this isn't the first time. Sadly, it won't be the last time. But Lord, make this the time that wakes churches up. 
God, let this be the time that churches look at Scripture and see that we have a gospel that brings unity. We, we have a, a gospel that, that excludes, clearly. Our gospel is exclusive. No one comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way. So, so by nature, it is exclusive. But Lord, as the church, we are inclusive of everyone who follows Jesus as Savior. That, in, that is everyone, regardless of any external life situation or appearance. God, let the church be the one place, if nowhere else, let the church be the one place that is the exemplar of unity. Let our message be not just in words, but in action. We can't share the gospel without sharing words. But Lord, our actions can, can undermine our words if we're not very careful. Lord, let our actions prove our words. Let our faith be with works and not without works. Lord, I pray for the family of the man who was killed in Baton Rouge, that they would know your comfort, that they would know your peace. Lord, I pray for the family of the man who was killed in Minneapolis, that they would know your comfort, that they would know your peace. Lord, I pray for the families of, of the officers and, and the citizens, the officers that were killed and the officers and citizens that were wounded in Dallas, that they would know your comfort and that they would know your peace and that you would heal those that are, are wounded physically and that you would heal those who are wounded emotionally. And Lord, many, a lot, are wounded spiritually. God, you, you have the only healing for that as well. That won't be found in the pages of the Quran or the, 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 inside the walls of a Buddhist temple or in the pamphlet of a Jehovah's Witness or from two elders of the Mormon church. The only place we can find that comfort is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only spiritual healing we have. God, I pray that we would never forget that. That we as a church, local but universal, would never get so focused on ourselves and our own problems, of which there are many, that we forget that there is a world that needs you. That we would never forget that as a church, with all of our problems, with all of our issues, we die and go to heaven there is a vast majority of people outside these walls that have all the problems, have all the issues, and then die and go to hell. God, we can give them hope in this life and the next if we just will take our eyes off of ourselves, off of the internal, and see that what happens to our brothers and sisters in Baton Rouge, and what happens to our brothers and sisters in Minneapolis, and what happens to our brothers and sisters in Dallas, and what happens to our brothers and sisters in Baghdad, and what happens to our brothers and sisters 
in Cairo and what happens to our brothers and sisters in Paris and anywhere else we want to name affects us because we are one body. What happens to those that are outside the fold of the faith affects us because those people were our responsibility. It was our responsibility to share the gospel with them. It was their responsibility to accept, but it was our responsibility to share. So Lord, we pray for healing for our nation. We pray for healing for our communities. We pray for healing for our families. We pray for healing for our churches. And we pray for boldness in our churches to take the gospel, the only thing that can bring unity to those who don't have it. To those who have even look like maybe they have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of the gospel. Lord, let us be bold. Let us be compassionate. Let us be loving. Let us be tender to those that need the gospel and need to see your love shine through your people. Lord, let us be that people as we seek to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the lines from Jesus' Friend of Sinners was, uh, what if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and loved like you did? Uh, I think it's a great image for, for what we must do as the church in, in all situations. Uh, we have, clearly we have moral standing on a lot of issues, but that is not, uh, does not take the place of compassion and love toward those with whom we disagree. And that begins by the church getting outside of its walls, outside of itself, and being an outwardly focused church. Second message of this series, uh, an inward, what churches don't need, and the second thing we don't need, last week we saw that we didn't need a weak gospel, and this week we don't need an inward focused church. Just a, a quick reminder that uh, I won't be here next Sunday. Uh, Dr. Rudy Gonzalez from Southwestern Seminary in San Antonio, the dean of the school there in San Antonio, he will be preaching. Uh, great preacher, great man, love him to death. I'm so excited that he is. Uh, he had the Sunday off so he could fill in. Uh, I will be at a church in Louisiana preaching in view of a call. Uh, and as I said last week, should the call be in my favor, then... I'll be back July 24th, and then that will be that 24th will be my last Sunday here. Uh, and uh, so there are there are issues that we've as a church we y'all once there's no longer a we um, will need to focus on and and to 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 take into account and and things that will have to be uh, worked on and and planned and all that. But what we cannot lose, uh, what I believe we cannot allow uh, as, as you move forward is these three things that we're looking at uh, these three, last three Sundays, what will appear to be my last three Sundays here. We cannot have a weak gospel. 
And this week, we cannot have an inward focus as a church. And in two weeks, we'll talk about uh, the third thing we cannot have, what churches don't need, is a therapeutic moralism uh, as, a, as an answer to things. And we'll talk about that more in, uh, in two weeks. An inward-focused church. One of the reasons I believe that we have the issues that we have in the country, and I know what time it is. If y'all are looking at your watch, I, am, I promise I'm going to try to cut this short. Uh, I'll do my best. Um, one of the reasons we have the problems we have in our country today is because we've had too many churches that are inwardly focused. The church can't take away all the problems. It's not that uh, we just, you know, it's it, that if, if the church would just do what they're supposed to, every problem will magically disappear. That's not the case. That's not how it works. Uh, even Christians sin. So that's not what I'm, uh, not totally what I'm getting at. But would there be less issue, issues, fewer issues, I should say, if the church was more of what the church should have been really for 2,000 years. But let's just say the last uh, 200 years in, the, in American history. Uh, the last, uh, you know, 1,200 years in European history. I mean, we, the church should be the model for, what, for how to do things right. And far too often, the church is the model for how to do things wrong. Part of that is because we're not out there in the community like we should be. We have been too, for too long an inward-focused church. If you're not familiar with this term, I'm going to introduce it to you. Navel-gazing. Navel-gazing. That is what churches for far too long, I believe, have been. Uh, churches, uh, Christians that are surprised. Wait a minute, there's racial tension? What? I, didn't, I don't think anybody would be like that, but, but you never know. Navel-gazing is self-indulgent or excessive contemplation of oneself or a single issue at the expense of a wider view. It looks kind of like this. That's navel-gazing. Infants, toddlers, they are the champions of navel-gazing. That they just, that's, it's all about them. If you don't believe me, ask my two. They will tell you quickly, my, it's all about my, whatever it is. We went to a shoe store yesterday. Janie Marie, my shoes, my shoes. She, she, we thought, she, she thought we were there to buy her shoes because it's all about her. It was about me. Actually, it's about other children, but anyway... That's what it looks like. But when a church does it, this is what they hear. We love us. We don't love you. We might love Jesus, but really what we're talking about here is how much we love us. That's what they hear from church people that are engaged in chronic navel-gazing. And this is what they see from the church. The inward-focused church. A fence around the building... Someone standing guard, sorry, you don't fit our scheme. Sorry, you're not what we're looking for in a church member. Uh, sorry, you can't come in. And, and practically, uh, Tom Rayner, who is uh, head of Lifeway, 
has some 10 warning signs of an inwardly focused, uh, inwardly obsessed church. Uh, and it, he, he gives some ideas, and I'm, I'm not going to elaborate on them because I don't have time. Uh, some of them don't apply to us. Uh, I, will, I will just throw these out here, there, and you can do with them what you will. But he gives 10 warning signs of an inwardly obsessed church. Uh, worship wars, number one, you know, music. And these aren't in any order. These are just the 10 things. Uh, prolonged minutia meetings where we spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time talking about trivial things. Facility focus. Uh, everything's got to be perfect in the facility while the community around us is burning down. Program driven. Um, you know, that's the most important thing that we continue to do the same program. Inwardly focused budget. Uh, what happens when you don't have a budget? Well, that's a different issue uh, that uh, we work on down the road. Number six, inordinate um, demands for pastoral care. Everybody has to have a visit every time they have a hangnail or something like that. Uh, number seven, attitudes of entitlement. This is my church, so therefore I should be able to get whatever I want from it. Number eight, greater concern about change than the gospel. I know we need to tell people about Jesus, but we better not change the carpet color. Uh, again, not, not all of these necessarily apply here. These are just in his study. Uh, number nine, anger and hostility. Uh-oh. Uh, anger and hostility. M members are consistently angry. They regularly express hostility toward the church staff or other members. And then number ten, evangelistic apathy. Those are ten warning signs of a, an inwardly obsessed church. That is not the church we're called to be. Jesus told them, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, this is where we're going to be this morning. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And in other versions of this, in other gospels, it says, look at the harvest. Don't look at your belly button. Look at the harvest. Look around you to see what is going on. See, an outward focus as opposed to an inward focus. Remember, we, churches don't need an inward focus. They need an outward focus. An outward focus sees the work. Jesus said the harvest is abundant. The harvest, it's a time to work. I did not grow up on a farm. But I do understand that when harvest time comes, everybody works. My daddy grew up on a farm. I've known people who grew up picking cotton. When the cotton came in, everybody went to picking. And, and it became a cuss word, right? That cotton picking, whatever. You, you, it's not something you say with joy. Uh, the harvest is a time to work. Now the harvest, he says here, can be both the actual crop itself or the timing of it. You know, it, it's time for harvest. What does that mean? We go out and pick. Well, it's time for harvest. What does that mean? Well, it's when everything's ripe. Both definitions work here because the, the crop is ready and the time is now. We look at Nixon, the crop is ready, and the time is now to go out and bring in the harvest. But it also, I believe, here implies some preparatory work. The church, the disciples, had to be about some things prior to the harvest. There, there were seeds to be planted. There, were, there was work to be done. The church must be about the preparatory work. It works sometimes that we just go out, we witness to somebody, and praise God they come to Jesus. But most of the time, 
It's, there's been preparatory work. There has been a relationship built. There has been an opportunity for that person to, to grow. We, we call it pre-evangelistic discipleship is what the, the big word for among church growth people now. It's, we're talking to them. We're telling them about biblical things, but they're not saved. They're not really getting it, but we are allowing them to hear what's going on. Preparatory work has to be done, and that is implied in a harvest, I believe. Though Jesus doesn't uh, address that here. An outward focus sees the work, that it's going to be difficult. Work, remember, is work. Work is not sleep. Work is not easy. An outward focus also sees the need. An outward focus sees the need. It, he says the harvest is abundant. Y'all, there's a huge potential number of souls that can be saved, that can be reached with the gospel. The harvest is abundant. The harvest in Nixon is abundant. The harvest worldwide is abundant. The unharvested soul is a lost soul. What happens to that, that bowl of cotton that's left in the field? Well, that cotton's not added to the bale, and that bale is not brought in, and that, that, that cotton is not used, and there's no benefit to the farmer, and there's no benefit to the purchaser. It is lost if it's left on that uh, cotton plant. The, the tomato that's left on the vine too long is, shrivels up and, and is, is no good. The soul that is left, and we are leaving too many souls on the stalk to die and go to hell because we weren't willing to go out and do the work of the harvest. There are millions of people who would have turned to Christ but died without Him because nobody would tell them. Today, people will die without Christ because nobody told them about Jesus. And y'all are all thinking of people in foreign countries, and I'm thinking of people across the street. There are people in Nixon that will die this week, and nobody has told them the gospel. And there are people you know. An outward focus sees the work, an outward focus sees the need, and an outward focus from a church runs people off. That's just the truth of the matter. Jesus said the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The workers are few because there is an unwillingness to serve. I don't know why my thing's not working right today. There's an unwillingness to do what needs to be done. Such an unwillingness that sometimes people would rather leave than be a part of the work. I, I, we, we see that Jesus lost disciples. They left him. The, the twelve said, we haven't left you. But clearly, there were people who said, the work is not worth it. The effort is not worth it. When the workers are unwilling to serve, that is direct disobedience to the landowner. See, the workers rarely own the land, especially in, in this day and time. I mean, you might have had a, a landowner that went out and worked alongside the workers, but it is not likely. There was a landowner, he set the time, or really the harvest set the time, but he set the parameters, he said when things were done, and if the worker didn't do it, it was direct disobedience to the landowner. And that means that the loss of souls is directly on the worker who did not go to harvest. 
people who would rather, as Russell said this morning in our deacon's prayer time, pew sit, or as Bernard Robinson, the pastor at Greater Rising Star, said, the bench warmers, people who would rather do that are directly responsible for the lost souls of Nixon. Not all of them, but some of them. That could have been reached if the church functioned the way it would have, it should have, but didn't. Y'all, you don't even have to be a pew sitter or a bench warmer to be responsible. There are plenty of me who are active, but don't evangelize like they should. And I am responsible for the lost souls of Nixon. An outward focus runs people off who don't want to do the work. An outward focus, Jesus goes on to say, and I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to hurry here. I probably have more to say and some things I probably shouldn't. So maybe it's good that I'm, I'm out of time, running out of time. An outward focus requires prayer. The harvest is abundant, the workers are few. Therefore, since all that's true, there are millions of souls, since it's true that people are running from the work, pray. Pray, he says. Go to the source. God is the owner of the property. God is the supplier. The beautiful thing here is, is God is the provider of the seed. God is the provider of, of the plants. In this case, God's the provider of all of it. But we go to the source and we say, God, we need more people. We need more workers. The harvest is, harvest is beyond us. Now, the reality is the harvest is never beyond the local church. Why? Because we have the source. The workers are few, not because God is not a good landowner. Not because the payment plan isn't good enough or there isn't a pension or health insurance. It's not a problem of, 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 uh, of supply of, of the harvest. It's not a problem of need for the tools. The problem in the harvest is the fact that there are no workers to go out. And yet God says to tell us, pray to me for the workers. Why? Well, God, we've been praying and nobody's coming. Okay? You've been praying. First, are you sure? Second, if you are praying and if you are seeking what God wants and not what you want, then you're going to realize that you're one of the workers. If all you're doing is praying for workers, then we've got a problem. Because Jesus did not tell the disciples, y'all sit here and pray. The rest of the passage here is, and they went out. And they began to work the harvest. But while they were working the harvest, they prayed that there would be more workers. An outward focus of a church requires prayer. Pray. An outward, work, focus, an outward focus results in obedience. If it is true that unwillingness to serve, disobedience runs people off, if we have an outward focus, though, we will be aware of our need for obedience to whom we are to be obedient because Jesus says that we are specifically to pray to the Lord of the harvest. We understand, we know who is in charge. That's who we're praying to. Like I said, the landowner. We know that we are not the ones who are making the decisions. We are not the ones that are deciding, okay, is this the person I'm supposed to witness to or is this what we're supposed to do? Go! Work the fields. 
you walk into, we were, uh, let's see, in North Louisiana, they, they grow a lot of cotton, and then of course up in uh, west and northwest Texas, the Panhandle, they grow a lot of cotton. And we've been through both of those places at various times, both immediately prior to and immediately after the harvest. It is clear in the cotton fields when it's time for harvest. It looks like it snowed in the middle of the summer out there. It's just incredible. And if you've seen it after the harvest, you, 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 it's just as clear when, when it's not there. So, okay, that's what it looks like was not there. Then clearly, this when it's so puffy and white, that's when it should be harvested. When we look at our town, we should realize that the harvest is great. That there, it is clear that there are people who need Jesus. Is that not clear to us? If it is, then our orders... Our, our direction has come from the Lord of that harvest, the one who has told us to go out. And they are simple orders. Go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. That's the order. It, it, making disciples, right? Not buildings. Making disciples, not comfort for Christians. Making disciples, not making pews for listening. Making disciples, not making a country club that we can come and be a part of on occasion to make ourselves feel better and see our friends. But we are about the work of making disciples. Going out into the harvest, an outwardly focused church results in obedience to the Lord of the harvest. An outward focused church, an outward focus shares the gospel, right? That's our mission. If we're resulting in obedience, we're going to be obedient to the mission to share the gospel. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out a go mandate. How many of you have ever harvested anything sitting in your living room? Yeah, me either. Maybe a few toenails. I've harvested those. That's about it. Can't sell those things for nothing. You can sell them for nothing. Let me, maybe I should, you know, if I do my grammar correctly, I'm actually right. It is a go mandate. The, the work, you know, I know farmers have it easier today. Easier, you heard me, right? Put the er on there. I hear people talk about these tractors now, these combines that, that, will, that you go, get in and, and you can, if I understand them correctly, you put in where you are, your, your coordinates, and, and maybe, maybe I heard the guy wrong, and, and you turn on your air conditioner, and you turn on your stereo, and you push go. And you sit, and it knows the boundaries of your land, and it, it does the work. I mean, if, if, if I heard him correctly, and you people who know more than this, about this than I do, correct me if I'm wrong, he's not even steering anymore. You know, it used to be it was dirty and hot and sweaty on an old grumpy tractor, and now you're sitting on those air ride cushions with your air conditioner and your stereo and your phone and your Facebook, and you just make sure occasionally I'm not in a ditch. Okay, that's not the harvest that God is talking about, that Jesus was talking about here. This was a, a, an outward focus, a go mandate that is removed from comfort. It is not comfortable to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. It is especially not comfortable to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus but do know us. 
I admit that, but that does not change our mandate. That does not change the, the call to go. And it is a strong gospel, right? Last week we talked about it. A strong gospel that we are to share. Not a, not a Jesus loves you and, and I like you too. And that's not the gospel. Not, not a, you know, you, you, you come to church. That's not the gospel. Not a, you know, you really need to be better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died to save you because you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Now you can phrase that maybe in a little, little better way to, to, to get the point across. But that's the gospel. A strong one. An outward focus shares the gospel. An outward focus is personal. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. See, workers implies a difficult task. If you didn't understand that with harvest, it's going to be hard. You are a worker. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to put out effort. It is personal. It is the fact that I am the worker. That's what it boils down to. Yes, Lord, I will pray for more, but I am the worker. I am the one going out. I am the one that is being sent. It is personal. I have to put out the effort. I have to get off the couch. I have to quit navel-gazing. I have to be the one out doing the work. I am called to the harvest. The fact is, and I think this is true for most of us, I would rather run from the work. I'd rather not. Remember, the workers are few. Clearly, there's an unwillingness to serve. Clearly, uh, the, the, an outward-focused church runs people off because we would rather not work. And that is not the call of the church. An outward-focused church says, I would rather not focus and talk about racial issues as they are. I'd rather stay in here where, where everything's perfect, right? No racial issues in here. This is great, and we want to, we want to keep it that way. Thanks. Well, number one, it's probably not perfect and great. And number two, that's not our calling. Our calling is to put out the effort. I'd rather not talk about the issues that other people are, are dealing with right now. I'd rather not talk about loss of life. I'd rather not talk about pain. I'd rather not talk about those things. I would rather run from the work because work is hard. And Jesus knew it. But an outward-focused church is personal. It applies to me. I am the worker. An outward focus has correct priorities. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, personally, me and others, into His harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not me. It's not, yay, me. Yay, the church grew when I was the pastor. Yay, uh, the church grew because the people were doing what they were supposed to. Or, yay, we got souls in because of whatever. It's, it's, it's not about that. It is about His harvest. It is all for Him, for His glory, for His benefit. It isn't about me, and it isn't about others. It's not about how others affect me. It's not about other, how others speak to me. We don't uh, uh, avoid the harvest. We don't avoid the work because he was mean or she was rude or I don't like what the preacher said. So we avoid the harvest. The harvest is about God. 
And while we may mask it in other things, while we may decide I can't be and can't do because this litany of issues that have frustrated me or angered me or whatever, the truth is what we are saying is, God, I really don't care about your harvest. I care, about more, my, I care more about my comfort. I care more about my opinions than I do about your harvest. And it is His harvest. And if we fail to harvest, then we're getting it wrong. Now, if, 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 if someone is angry at the pastor, see how generic I'm being? Angry at the pastor and leaves a church and goes to another church where they serve and work and they're all about the harvest, more power to them. God bless you. I'm glad God is using you. But if we are afraid of the harvest, afraid of the work, then we have issues. And our issues are ultimately not with him in the pew or her in the pew or him in the pulpit. But our issues were with him who called us to work the harvest. So I personally don't care where you go to church as long as you are involved in the harvest. An outwardly focused church will always be involved in the harvest. Will always be sending out workers. An outwardly focused church will always be about God and not about us. An outwardly focused church will always say, it's always me that's being called. It's never not me. An outwardly focused church will share the gospel. An outwardly focused church will be obedient to the God who calls. An outwardly focused church will pray. An outwardly focused church will make people mad and run them off. An outwardly focused church sees that the need in their area is incredibly great. And an outwardly focused church will see that harvest and will go out in the field to harvest. Now there is a time where we need to be inwardly focused. There's a time that we need to do a little bit of navel-gazing, and that is when we are convicted of our sin as Christians, and we need to realize, okay, that's me, that's not me, whatever. We need to do some inward focusing. Or when we are uh, hearing the gospel message, and we need to respond to it. So a good inward focus does that. A good inward focus, even as a Christian, it is good for us to go back and say, where am I? Where did I come from? Where have I been? So a good inward focus says, I understand that I'm a sinner. That I fall short of the glory of God, just like everybody else has. In today's climate, there is no perfect citizen. There is no perfect cop. If we want to use current events. Every one of us has sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of that sin, as I look inward, I deserve death. That is my wage. That is what I should have had to begin with. That is what I have earned throughout my life. But there is a gift that was given to me. And I can say that about myself. There was a gift that I received, that I, I, I took from Jesus. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. God showed me that even while I was a sinner, just like He did any of us who have accepted Christ, while we were sinners, we knew that message. Christ died for us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I look inward and say, have I done that? Have I called on the name of Jesus for salvation? Because I know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
believes in their heart that Christ is raised, God has raised him from the dead, he will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the message that the harvest needs to hear, that the fields need to hear. And if we are an outward-focused church, we will be taking that message out of here. So as First Nixon goes forward with, admittedly, a number of issues necessary and needing to heal from things, I, at the moment, I'm not completely sure on what that is, but if we look around this morning, we can see there are things that need to happen. And it, it, it may very well be, probably is, and this is why God's working this way, that I cannot be a part of that equation. And that's, that's okay. But as the church moves forward, we cannot get so lost in our own need to heal our own financial issues, our own problems, that we become navel-gazers. And we forget that no matter who is here, no matter what the finances are like, no matter how many or how few, both in numbers and dollars, the call, the command, the focus will not change. The harvest will still be white. And the workers will still be few. And we need to pray here that God will send workers, me, everyone here, and whoever may come later, that the work will be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your gospel is clear. Thank you that it is a, it is a gospel of hope, a gospel of salvation in any situation. God, whether it's church trials or societal ills, whether it's death and destruction, or we just can't pay the power bill. God, your, your, your gospel is still powerful and, and poignant and, and directed at those things because we have the answer to both of those. To societal ills, we say Jesus is the answer. To church issues, we say Jesus is the answer. And, and really, the, the actions are the same. If, if the church is having issues, evangelize. Go into the field and harvest. If society is having issues, God, we must go in the field and harvest. Lord, in the future, as, as First Nixon moves forward, I pray that it will be a church that keeps an outward focus through all the difficulties, through all the trials. And Lord, this morning I pray if there's someone here that does need to do a little inward focusing. Needs to, maybe as a Christian, understand their role as a worker in the harvest. I pray that you would move on that heart. If there's someone here this morning who needs to do that inward focus and see I have never accepted Christ, that they will hear and read these verses, understand that they are a sinner and their only way from that sin is through relationship with you, that gift through Jesus Christ. And that they will call on your name today and be saved. God, move in this time. Lord, work in this place. And God, I pray that you would do mighty things through your servants. Lord, build up a, 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 a harvest working team like this town has never seen. 
pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, an inward focus should lead to a life focus. How do you need to respond? After you do a little inward focusing, how does your life need to change? Do you need to accept Christ? Do you need to follow in obedience and baptism? Do you need to join this church and, and be a part of, of what is coming? The bumps and lumps and all that, but a part of what God may still have planned for this church. Do you need to adjust your life to be a worker in the harvest? Only, only you can answer those questions, but you need to answer those questions. So as we stand and as we sing this morning, the altar is open for you to come pray. I can pray with you if you'd like. But as we sing, you do business with God.